1: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
2: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, this is Matt Young from the Story Chunder, coming to you from Brisbane, Australia. We'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we stand, the Turbo and Jaguar people, and pay respect and honour all of our Aboriginal, Indigenous, and First Nations listeners, as they are the original custodians of the stories that have been told for tens of thousands of years in this country of Australia, and have paved the way for events like ours. This podcast was recorded on 8th of June, 2020. There will be no introductory music this week. We honour the global Black Lives Matter movement, and show solidarity with Australia's Indigenous and Aboriginal Lives Matter movement as the host this week my job is to listen this week's theme is enough is enough and our first storyteller is asabi goodman
3: yes um so i it's very funny being a black american woman i grew up in a lot of privilege which is it's not it's not what you normally see because it's not what we're normally allowed to see right so I, I grew up in a very white neighborhood. We were probably the only black family in the 80s that lived in that neighborhood. There might've been two other Asian families and one Pakistani family, I think, that lived in a, 400 houses, right? So massive neighborhood, but it was not very diverse. Um, the town I grew up in was segregated even then in the 80s. So, you know, you had like the black side of town, the white side of town. Um, I didn't know that I was different, had no idea that I was different Um, until maybe high school when, you know, kids would say, oh, you talk like you're white. And I didn't understand what that meant because everyone around me talked the same. So I've always carried myself a little bit differently, maybe quite naively. Um, I never thought that I would ever have any issues. And honestly, I haven't had many issues. It's mainly been comments that people have said to me and I'll and I'll go through some of that. But what I really want to share is, it's a funny story to me, a story that uh, one of the first run-ins that I ever had with the LAPD. Um, and I'll give you a little bit of understanding about the LAPD. They are fucking scary. Excuse my French. Very, very scary people to the point where i was at a football game so massive stadium in downtown los angeles ninety thousand people it was completely packed and we won the game and so of course you know they make the announcement don't rush the field which is what every college student does because you know you win the game you're excited you're happy you want to rush out to the field there's hundreds of us hundreds and usc is a very multicultural school so we're all races all ethnicities you know, all varying backgrounds, a line of LAPD walked across the field, probably about 15, 20 of them. And I've never seen so many people do an about face so quickly. That's how scary these guys are, right? They're just very, very scary guys. Um, We were taught just, you know, don't engage them, look the other way, unless you have an actual issue, but you just, you just leave them alone. So. My story, one night, I think I was um, just turning 22. So I was a senior, it was my final year at uni. And I decided to have probably the biggest birthday party that I'd ever had, the biggest house party that I was ever going to have. So I had a massive house party. Everybody I knew came. I invited the entire complex. Um, We moved the furniture, we turned the lights out, the music was blaring. It was just massive and it was just going. There were people out the back smoking weed. You know, all kinds of things that we probably shouldn't be doing. But, you know, we did it anyway because we're at uni and we're having a good time and, you know, we're celebrating. And at some point, I just hear this massive, whose house is this? And it was kind of like in the movie where you hear that scratch, you know, the record scratch and everything goes quiet and everybody stops. And we look around and there are two massive LAPD officers standing in my living room. And no one moved. We all just stood there, just stood completely still. And someone kind of shoved me and I was like, shit, okay. <laughs> so I walked up to them and, you know, I kind of said, oh, hi, it's my house, it's my party. And I'm just thinking, oh my God, what kind of trouble am I going to get in? You know, kids smoking weed out the back and who knows what else was happening. And, you know, he's like, do you know what time it is? And how dare you throw a party and you're being so loud. We could hear it from the street. Do you know the row has shut down? And for anybody who doesn't know what the row is, the row is fraternity and sorority row. And just like in the movies, we you know fraternities, so these massive parties and, and they are just as wild as you see on movies. And it was probably three or four in the morning at this point. So it was late, it was late and we were being very loud, but everybody in the complex was there. So we were like, eh, who cares? So I, I kind of looked at him, and I was just thinking, Ugh. and so I said, yes, I, I know what time it is, and, and yes, it's my place, and I read his name badge, so he had his name badge on, and I and I distinctly remember this. I don't remember his last name, but I remember his name was Sam. And so I just kind of got really doughy-eyed, and I just said, Officer Sam, have you ever been 22? Do you remember being 22? Do you remember celebrating? And he immediately softened. And he just looked at me and he said, all right, just keep it down. But if we come back here, we're going to shut it down. And he walked out and we all just kind of looked at each other for a moment and we sighed. Okay, that's good. We didn't turn the music up as loud, but we did turn it back on and we partied until 6am. So (laughs) my story is about, we hear all of these stories and they're true because I have seen it. I've seen some really negative stuff that the cops have done personally. And I think not all of them are bad. So I, you know, I, I just wanna be one of those voices that says, yes, I acknowledge the negativity that's out there but there are some good ones. There are good cops out there. Um, every interaction I've ever had with a police officer has always been positive. Um, Not to take away from the negative because I have seen an officer with his foot on someone's head before I have seen that and scared the shit out of me, but I didn't know what to do. And you know, it's three o'clock in the morning going home from uni. You don't know what to do. And they look at you and you just you just walk by. We didn't have mobile phones back then there was nothing you could do. And like I said, the LAPD are very, you know, they, they put the fear of God in you with them. And, and we're told this, we're actually told this. So I was a, an out of state student coming from Oklahoma and going to California. And the one thing they tell you is just don't engage with them because they're, you know, they're mean, they're ruthless. The majority of them don't even live in LA County. They live outside the county. So they have this view of the people that live there in the county. So, you know, we do fear them, but my experience has been good, me personally um and i just want to say you know yes we need to end police brutality but we all need to do it together we need to stand up together so for those cops out there that are good they need to take a stand as well and they need to work within themselves to change because that's the only way it's going to happen so that's that's my
2: story thank you, thank you so much for sharing it thank you so much no for sharing worry.
1: At one point, I
2: actually thought that you were going to say, you said the cops walked in and everyone got all tense. I thought you were going to say they were strippers. Oh. <laughs> that, would have, that would have been a that's different story. That's a different story. story. <laughs> I,
3: and I have had that happen as well. <laughs> that was a birthday surprise. <laughs> and boy, was it a surprise. <laughs> yeah. But um, yes, yeah, so that's that. That's my my good cop story, if you will. Um, where we were scared, but you know, it turned into be something, um, not so, not so bad. Not so bad. And we were able to party. Um, I guess the other thing, one of the things that I've experienced a lot being here in Australia, um, that I think for me personally is a huge enough is enough is the assumptions that people make about you when they see you. you know, I've had people ask me, what's it like growing up in the ghetto? Or can I touch your hair? It's not normal. Or um, someone actually argued with me about being an American, saying that because I was Black, I couldn't be American. And I'm like, don't, don't argue it. My family has been in America for 300 years. Of course I'm American, you know? And it's not my place to explain to them why I'm American. They just need to accept it. And, uh, you know, that's, that's a huge thing for me because that happens quite often. That happened just, gosh, a couple of weeks ago, you know, where people argue my Americanness with me because of the color of my skin. And that's not fair. That's just not fair at all. So that's, that's a huge enough is enough for me. Don't, don't presume to know people based on what they look like. You know, talk to them, find out their story, but don't make assumptions because that's, I mean, that's one of the reasons we're in this mess is that people make assumptions about people. You know, they see someone, oh, they look scary. And it's like, you don't know that person. You don't know what that person has been through, who that person is. It's not fair to say, oh, I was afraid because someone just walked up or someone asked for help changing their tire. Um, A few years ago when I was back home, a cop killed a man who was on the side of the road. He was a preacher and he was changing his tire and they were like, I was scared. And so they shot him and killed him. And he was just asking for help. (laughs) He'd actually called asking for help, you know? So we need to stop making assumptions
2: based on what people look like. Our second storyteller is Jay Ma.
0: So um, the first one, it's also two stories that combined into one story um the first one was when i when i had first just arrived in australia i was like 13 years old and i remember exploring the city in brisbane city uh, one day and just checking out everything and i i had such a good day uh, my english wasn't great um but i always tried my best to sort of communicate with everyone you know um i remember it was in the afternoon i had to go home and the bus platform had so many different buses so i had absolutely no idea which bus to catch you know so i was sort of just like going through my luck to to sort of find my way home um and i remember waiting in line in the bus station um underneath the Maya center i was just waiting and there was this um bus that had just arrived with lots of people getting on the bus and I was thinking, okay, I'm going to ask the bus driver where this bus goes. So maybe it goes goes to the destination that I'm going. So I waited, waited, waited. I make sure that everyone sort of, you know, got on the bus first before I before I get on. Because I thought if I was going to ask the question, I don't want to hold up the line behind me. So I thought let's wait till everybody gets on the bus um, and then ask that question so i got on the bus um finally and everyone's sitting down and i just asked the bus driver just a simple question i just asked him does this bus goes to the destination that i was going to and i was in shock because he just yelled at me and he said you're all fucking stupid i was 13 years old Um, and this is the first time I'm actually telling this story because I think it affected me so much Um, after that. um, Everyone just looked, no one said anything and I was in shock, I was a kid, I was 13 I was so, um, I was so shaky that I just jumped off the bus, I just left the bus, I just sat and I just started crying and I think that moment I will always remember and I didn't know what to say back to the bus driver because, because I wasn't good at English, I wasn't good at English, I wasn't, I wasn't sure how to express myself. To, to to say hey that's not okay but thinking back it's like nobody stood up for me i was a kid i wasn't even a, you know so i just basically what happened was i just sat on the bus platform and waited and waited till i calmed down and then i eventually got home but that that was my very first encounter of racism um since i've been in australia so that was like you know i I never really told anyone that story because I was so afraid um to to tell that story to people um but I thought tonight is such a such a good you know with the with the subject that we're talking about, and the other time was this is years after so i've I'm all grown up now um I remember i've I'm seeing this guy and he's Caucasian. It doesn't really matter where a guy is from i think if i think he's hot he's hot it doesn't matter like to me race doesn't matter right (sighs) so anyway we we, we're going out and we were out clubbing in cloudland in brisbane it's a club um and i went to the bathroom when i came back um it was like two girls um sitting with him and talking to him like i think they're middle-aged um caucasian woman Anyway, I was like, yeah, it's fine. Like, it's no big deal to me. You know, people are out clubbing. Like, people talk to anyone, everyone, all the time. I come back, I sit down, and then he was like, oh, yeah, um, this is my girlfriend, Jay. Like, you know, we'll, we'll date him. So he was introducing me to the girls. They just looked at him and they said to him, You're going out with her. She's Asian. Legit in front of my face that's what they said Mm. I just cannot I cannot even believe it and I was you know obviously I back I was all grown up so I knew how to stand up for myself and he immediately obviously stood up for me like you know he's like you guys are so you know like so he took me out of that situation pretty much straight away and he stood up for me but this was we're talking about like for Four years ago, three, four years ago. We we're not talking about that long ago. Mm. So it's like now that I see everything that's happening around the world, I know I'm not black. I I know I'm Asian, but like I, I feel so much hurt inside of me the last few weeks, just because just because it's just not okay and enough is enough.
2: Our third storyteller is Kashif Harrison.
1: Yes. um, Now, my enough is enough story is actually, it's like two combined in one. Um, I'm going to call it my very first year uh, surviving in Australia. Um, It's just because it is basically, I feel, what's going on serious times um, that we live in right now. And with so much going on, um, it's been almost two weeks where I've been thinking of what to put out. Like, you know, how people are supporting each other on social media and supporting Black Lives Matter on social media. And I was like, somehow not having the words to come out with because I'm a very emotional person. And I was planning on um, making a video because I do vlogs and stuff. So I was like, um, I can't make a funny vlog when there's so much going on in the world right now. So it's been two weeks I haven't made a vlog out of respect because I want to respect the people. But also I was planning on making a video of telling everyone how I feel, but I couldn't because I feel like these are very strange times where you do want to support, um, you know, stop racism. But at the same time, if you speak out something about it, you need to be very very well versed. Um, You need to have good um, supporting words. And also you need to have your research done. And if you don't do that properly, there can be so much backlash. And that's what everyone is scared of as well these days. So the people who are supporting it are also scared because if you say something or the other, and if it's something wrong, or if it has hit someone on the right, uh, wrong way, uh, boom, that's just, that's just gonna get a lot of backlash. Um, and my story comes up, and this is basically for South Asians supporting the cause Black Lives Matter. Just because I feel like racism and South Asians, we know pretty much how that is, because we've kind of dealt with it ourselves. And um, a lot of South Asians are actually having the backlash of supporting Black Lives Matter because of the fact that, hey, you're a South Asian. What what do you have to do with black lives, really? And I feel like this this is my story for them. So enough is enough. Um, My very first year in Australia, surviving 2013, I came 2012, end of 2012, and 2013 was the first year. I started doing my job. I actually got a job uh, at a radio station in January, somewhere in Liverpool, in uh, New South Wales, and I was pretty much happy with it. now, I remember, so this was me partying out for the very first time in um, Sydney, in Parramatta. So my friend invited from radio, he was like, hey, let's go out, we've got a party going on in Parramatta, why didn't you come? And I was like, well, all right, fine. find this is my very first time partying in Australia, I'm excited. Um, so there I am, pretty much, you know, decked up, I'm like, yeah, this is, a, you know, my, my first time in Australia, I'm gonna party like it's, I don't know, 1912 or whatever. Um, and i was like super super excited now the thing is i'm really bad with directions and this being my very first time in australia and going out on my own um i cannot even rely on iphone even if the iphone says that hey turn left i would be like which left are we specifically talking about you know what i mean so i'm one of those you actually have to take me literally two directions so i was literally confused where this roxy hotel in Parramatta is and i think now it's like closed or something so um I was pretty much asking everyone directions and most of the people were, were very nice. And I remember specifically, I think that I was two streets away from Roxy Hotel and I asked a bunch of girls and they were drunk white girls, drunk white Australian girls. Um, so I ended up uh, stopping there and I was like, hey, can you tell me where the Roxy Hotel is? Um, and this, these three girls were drunk and I had no idea that how drunk they were, but they seemed slightly drunk anyways. So the girl who was the most drunk caught me. And she goes like, okay, so I'll tell you. So first you need to turn left. And then, excuse my language, she tells me to fuck you <laughs> and get out of my country. And I'm like, wait a minute, what? Um, and I, I feel like when we talk about all of these things and when it actually happens to you, at that point you are like, it's hard processing it, I feel. And I was like, wait, she just she 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 just she just told me to get away get out of here or something and i think that i was a bit embarrassed and the girl started laughing and they were like two girls just put me uh, put her aside and she uh, they go like oh she, she's a bit drunk she's a bit drunk and she started yelling legit absolute massive yelling and she goes like get out of my country you don't belong here bloody indians and i'm like i'm not even an indian bro um so um so that was my first time anyways i went to the party i cheered up because i feel i have this switch on switch off mode and i ended up partying on a dance floor like like anything and um pretty much just like you know having the uh, fun out of it that hey i just got sweared by a drunk white girl um so that was one time and the second time i remember it was the same year actually the same month to be very precise And I was just going to my radio station. And I remember I was sitting in the train, uh, train, waiting to get off. And along comes this uh, white girl for some reason. And she comes all, you know, in her sports gear and just comes up. And this this time I remember, I think she was a college student or something. And it was like a bunch of girls. And they come to me and all of a sudden start going, oh, there he is, Indian. Go back to India. India, that is where you belong. And i'm like wait what um i remember sitting over there i remember just hearing her and i remember just like switching her off because that's what we're used to um not a lot of people know that christians in minority in pakistan are actually targeted a lot for racism so i kind of grew up with this so i knew how to handle it so i was just really quiet about it and then she just left and it was just like quick five uh, five seconds or ten seconds of shame that she gave me um but that was my very first year surviving in australia and i feel like it's not just me. everyone who's indian pakistani or comes across as a brown or south asian um, and comes to australia and i've heard stories because the thing about radio presenters is that we can share our real life stories on air and the people just like catch it and pretty much tell their stories i remember sharing the story on my radio station uh, on my radio show And I got so many people coming up with their stories and I was like, whoa, so clearly this is a norm. Um, The people, South Asians coming to Australia need to survive their very first outings in Australia because in those very first outings, they will actually get called a brownie or go back to India or considered an Indian or pretty much have a racist act come to them some way or the other. And I feel like that is something that needs to stop. So that is why all the South Asians out there, stop telling South Asian people not to stand up for Black Lives Matter because the idea behind Black Lives Matter is racism, stopping racism. And if we don't stand up for this uprising of racism, I think that no one's gonna stand up for us. Um, There are so many stories in Australia, if you um, check out a lot of um, Indians and Pakistanis being targeted because of racism, hate crimes, This is what they call it. Um, But I feel like this is the reason why I just wanted to come up with the stories because I feel like it's important that everyone stands up for this. It's not just about black lives. Yes, they are in danger right now and that's why they matter the most at the moment. Um, But at the end of the day, it's an uprising of stopping that racism act. Racism is not acceptable. And that racism should be told enough is enough because that's basically what we are targeting with all this. So that's my very serious story, for all my salvation people.
2: Our final storyteller is Kelly Mack.
4: Of course, naturally, if I was any whiter, uh, Matt, I would be clear. I do not have any racist stories to tell you. Uh, but what I will say, there is two parts to this. So I'll tell everybody what to expect. The first one with enough is enough is a little bit of, and you just can't say that without inviting us to stand on our soapbox. And so I'll say one serious thing and then I'll move on to a rather trite story about parenting. And my serious thing is this, enough is enough with Royal Commissions where we have recommendations, and I'm specifically talking about the 1991 Royal Commission into Black Deaths in Custody and the 1997 Stolen Generation one called Bringing Them Home. Enough with these Royal Commissions where we have recommendations and Parliament does not implement them. It really is as simple as that. I am absolutely sick of it where blood, sweat and tears and hope is spent on royal commissions and Parliament seems to have this opt-in attitude towards the recommendations as opposed to opt-out. And then they send people on to Q&A who listen to some very heartbreaking stories and basically tut tut nod and go we must do better. So that's my soap book thing. If the things that had been, the recommendations of 91 and 97 had been implemented. Australia would be would look like a very different place right now. And so that's my soapboxing, thing, Matt. Now we'll go into enough is enough on the parenting thing. Now we have to go back, okay, way back okay, through, through time to about oh, 10 years ago. Now I have three sons. They're all in their 20s now. They've all left home. I, I fear one is about to come back. God help me! I'll have to uh, get another job for the fridge. But anyway, I've three sons. They're all in their twenties. They're two years apart. Irish triplets, I believe you'd call them. And I'm. I went on, and I should say, I am not a loosey goosey mum. Okay, I subscribe to the General Tarkin school of parenting. Remember General? Remember you know General Tarkin from the first Star Wars in 1977, played beautifully by Peter Cushing, where he said, "Fear." will bring the local systems in line. Fear of this star system. Now that's me, okay? So we've got fear, we've got guilt because we've got the Catholic Jew thing happening and we've got food. See, I have straight sons, so give them a girl and a car and a feed and they're happy. It's it's, it's, it's simple, okay? And, and they are, they're, you know, straight boys are simple. And when I say simple, I mean uncomplicated as opposed to a below average intelligence, although that theory has been sorely tested in the last 30 years so anyway so General Tarkin decides to go on a make your bed and get your shit off the floor phase I was sick of it going into their rooms after they'd gone for work or school and the youngest and the eldest had sense and they immediately find beds made things off the floor but the middle one of course the middle one Billy he was stubborn now he was about 17 18 because he had his driver's license and a job after school now reason failed uh treats failed you know dogs boys treats give th- these things fail positive reinforcement utterly failed so far i said to him the next time i walk in and you can see my face can you see it, the tension it's coming back the next time i walk into this room and the bed isn't made and we've got crap on the floor i will throw your bedroom out the window fine so for a few days he's great but then bang off he goes Bzz. And I go in and of course there's crap on the floor, the bed's not made. Now, do not ask me how I got a double bed out of our regular house size window, but rage can give a mother wings, the <laughs> adrenaline rush. And I threw whatever I could out, out onto the lawn. Now I had, for- it's a, a one story house by the way, so it's not too dramatic, but anyway, I had forgotten that he had a late night shift. So he arrived home when his headlights would have picked out his mattress and his fitted sheet and the bed head somehow on the Lord. He comes in, and I thought, I'm going to hold firm to this. Are you going to help me put it back? I said, no. And I had a new idea. I'm going to flick. Nah, nah. So enough is enough. So that's my parenting story there. Namby pamby parents take note because the next day, you could have set your watch by it, man. That kid was singing his bed. He was making sure that 20 cent piece would bounce off that bed. So there you go.
2: <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you to all our storytellers this week for speaking honestly from the heart of their own experiences. And no, we don't have all the answers, but by sharing stories, we come to understand one another. We'll see you next week. Thank you.